Welcome to the show, everyone. You are watching NBTV, and this is our weekly Crypto Beat live show where we dive into all things privacy and crypto. And we always have some wonderful guests this week. I'm super excited to welcome to the show for the first time. We have Wendy O. Uh, if you guys are not subscribed to her channel, you absolutely need to be. So we're going to dive into some of the latest crypto stories with her. And then we've also got Lorn Lance. He's the CEO of Breadcrumbs, which is an open blockchain analytics platform. We're going to dive into some juicy content as well there. But let's go over all the topics uh, right off the bat that we're going to be covering, starting with inflation, crazy numbers that came out this week, 7.5%. And so Wendy's going to dive into what that means for the crypto space. Also looking at price charts. I don't usually do that on my show, but with inflation going so crazy, it's interesting from a macro sense to be talking about where is crypto going now? So we're going to dive into that. Then we're going to talk about Hungary, which wants uh, the EU to ban crypto. We'll, we'll see how successful they are with that little initiative. Uh, diving in with Lawn Chain Analytics, giant story from this week, the couple that apparently laundered billions of dollars from the Bitfinex hack in 2016, they were arrested and all of these charts were released showing how the government basically traced all of the funds. I thought it was uh, would be interesting to dive into all those details. So we have an expert Lauren on the show to talk about that. And then it's privacy time, our weekly segment called Get Off My Digital Lawn. Uh, and we're diving into the CIA's bulk surveillance program that was just revealed this week. Wow, like huge news. And then we've got the Earn It Bill, which is an initiative to ban end-to-end -end encryption. So meaty stuff to dive into this week. Uh, let's just dive straight into it. So Wendy, oh, right off the bat, inflation numbers. I'm just going to throw some numbers at our audience so they get an idea of what we're dealing with here. So CPI, Consumer Price Index, was just released and inflation has soared to a 40-year high. 7.5% in the last year. These price increases were across the entire economy. So wages have risen the fastest pace in 20 years. Electricity has skyrocketed 4.2% just this month, but up 10% over the year. You got furniture and supplies. So the largest one month increase on record since 1967, used car prices up 41% from a year ago. Just a mind blowing figure there. And this is basically what happens when you quadruple the money supply in the space of a year. So I'm going to throw this over to you, Wendy, for all this. You see all the memes across crypto Twitter, like the money printing memes. And like, what does this mean for people? I, I mean, do you think this is going away anytime soon? What are your thoughts on the whole thing? Naomi, inflation is transitory. It is transitory. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Inflation is not transitory. Do not listen to any of these ivory tower people when they say inflation is transitory. It's not transitory. What they're trying to do, and if you don't know what transitory is, that's okay. Basically, it means something that is temporary. It's a fancy way of saying that because they don't like to use plain English. They want to make sure that whatever they're pushing out, you're not able to understand because that is how they keep us stagnant. So when we're talking about inflation hitting 7.5%. When I was working in healthcare, I would get a COLA increase. COLA means cost of living increase. That was point zero, or that was 1% or 3% um, per year. So generally companies will give you in the United States, they will give you depending on who you work for in healthcare, they don't really care about you, which is terrible. That's another topic. Um, but they'll give you one to 3% raise increase. So if inflation is sitting at 7.5%, and you're given a 1% to 3% cost of living increase, it doesn't equate. The math does not check out because you're still not making enough to be able to pay for basic things, for groceries, for your electricity, for your bills. And if you live in a place like Southern California, like I do myself, 
It's very hard to live out here. So the fact that we have these high inflation rates is immensely scary because they're not going to be going away any way, shape or form. And one of the things that scares me is that the American people are okay with that. They're okay with the government. They're okay with this administration printing money. And it's scary to me. It's very, very scary to me because the fact that we can just continue to print so much money and it's not a problem for the United States government to do it. But in a household, I have a five-year-old daughter. I have a budget every week. If I go over my budget, who's going to, do I just print more money? Do I just print more Bitcoins? No, I don't do that. I cannot do that. But the United States government thinks that they can do that. And it's a massive problem. And hopefully, hopefully we can opt out with Bitcoin. Well, I mean, that's the moral of the story here, right? You have one money where you haven't had any competition in the money supply for ever. And uh, suddenly we have this decentralized alternative that the government can't shut down. It's incredibly, it gives me a lot of hope to have that because, I mean, when we, this came off the back of 08 crisis, right? That's when Satoshi Nakamoto like starts diving into this, releases this white paper because we saw all of the money printing that went on then. People were worried and they were worried about like, why are we having our, the value of our money depreciated, devalued, um, just so that all these corporations can get all these bailouts. So this idea of having an alternative money that isn't controlled by some elite bureaucrats who are unelected in office is so important. So I completely agree, Wendy. Bitcoin and I think cryptocurrency is such a godsend. And I'm just so grateful now that people have alternatives because I see a lot of heartache. I feel for you and your, your, your child and everyone out there who's trying to make ends meet. And I'm just grateful that now people at least have alternatives because if they didn't, I think the situation would be a lot more dire for people. But on that note, let's dive into, yeah, I'm going to throw it straight back to you. Talk to me about, give me final thoughts on this and also talk about where the market's going for crypto in general. Okay. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just got excited. So I just no, want to no, let everybody know your government officials, they're really, I don't like the title government officials. I prefer the title public servants because that's what they are. Mm -hmm. And that means they are supposed to serve you. They are supposed to represent your thoughts, your opinions, taxes, what you want done. That's what public servants are supposed to do. These people are not doing that. And I want to make it very clear that they are, they are supposed to be servicing their communities and they're not doing that. And as far as the crypto markets that. go, as far as the crypto markets go, I'm actually looking at the chart right now. We're not looking good. And I think one of the reasons why we're not looking too terribly great at the moment is because of all of the news that's come out. I don't know what I can or can't say on this show, um, but uh, <laughs> so I will, I will treat it like my own. Um, but basically, you've seen a lot of FUD that's going on, um, a lot of really scary things that are happening. I hope for world peace. I don't necessarily know if we're going to get that. Um, but it's looking like we are breaking the EMA9 on the daily chart at about $42,000. And if that does happen, I would kind of watch to about forty-one dollars to $39,000 over the weekend, unless we're able to get some majestic rebound to happen. Um, I still do believe that we are in a bull market. I do not think that we are in a bear market. Um, and number doesn't always just go up when it comes to Bitcoin. If you're in altcoin positions, I highly recommend you consider taking some profits if you're up in profit. And if you want to start scaling into altcoins, that's fine too, but use limit orders and don't just market buy. Make sure that you have an entry and an exit plan. A lot of people don't do that. You don't necessarily have to do that with Bitcoin if you're a long-term holder, um, but with altcoins, you definitely should.
Yeah, I'm I'm bad at this advice. So I'm so glad we have Wendy here. Me, I'm just looking long-term trajectory. I'm looking at the money printer. I'm say, seeing the inflation and I'm saying, well, I definitely don't want my savings in cash right now. So looking to diversify your assets right now is not a bad play at all. And when it comes to short-term trading, definitely not my wheelhouse, but that seems like some some pretty solid, uh, definitely not financial advice, but definitely some interesting an idea. suggestions. Uh, an idea. An idea, think idea about. between friends uh, from Wendy. Um, so let's dive into the, the final topic for this block. We're talking about what's going on in the EU. So apparently Hungary is petitioning the EU to ban crypto. Uh, so the Hungary central bank has called on the EU to ban crypto mining, ban trading. They are looking to Russia and the proposed ban that was uh, brought up a couple of weeks ago and saying, yeah, that seems like a pretty good idea. Uh, so you had, uh, I'm not going to even try to pronounce this person's name, but uh, uh, part of the central bank there uh, said, I perfectly agree with the proposal and also support the senior EU financial regulators point that the EU should ban the mining method used to produce most new Bitcoin that I don't even what do they mean like produce most new Bitcoin like they're so they it's always funny to me when you have officials talking about this and it's like that didn't make any sense but anyway I'm going to throw this to you what are your thoughts on the success of this and on the EU considering a ban on crypto this is the thing the reason why we hear all of these headlines on these countries that want to ban Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is because number one, they don't understand it. Number two, they're scared of it. And number three, the banks know that they are losing. Humans are not stupid, especially the underdogs. And I like to refer to the community, especially the crypto community, mostly as underdogs. And we were kind of, people have been suppressed for so long with the Federal Reserve and with these central banks all across the world. People are starting to wake up and they see that they do have an option such as Bitcoin and, you know, other cryptocurrencies, if that's what, you know, people decide to do. Um, so we're going to see a lot more of these stories. It's going to be FUD. It's going to cause, you know, some market issues and whatnot. But at the end of the day, what you guys need to understand is these countries will eventually end up creating their own CBDC, their own digital currency. So they're going to have some form of crypto come into play. Um, so I'm personally not worried about this. I don't know too much about Hungary's policies or how they treat their citizens there. Um, but I do think that it will end up being okay. And I think it's just a bunch of a bunch of FUD to kind of scare retail and to kind of just scare everybody in general. We see India that is invested in, or the, India bans Bitcoin and then it doesn't, and then it goes back and forth, back and forth. So I think that that's not, they're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's a lot of FUD. I think that... Jen, I don't, I just don't see what leverage Hungary has for the entire EU. Like, I really want to ban this thing. And the EU is probably going to be like, mm, nah. I mean, the issue with the difference between prohibition and ban, you know, and just regulating something is prohibition never works. And we've shown that throughout history. And if the governments want to control this, it's much more uh, efficient to just work it into the economy and you can track it and then you have everything KYC'd and like it's a terrible situation. But luckily you don't have to use those rails in order to use crypto. You can use crypto in an agoristic fashion entirely outside of traditional financial infrastructure, which is which is pretty cool. But uh, any final notes on all of this and the future of, of where we're headed with all of this kind of big news items. Only thing I want to close out with is that if you're watching the show, 
reach out to your public servants and make some noise. It's very simple to do. You can go ahead and call them. You could go down to the office, whatever it is, but get off your behinds and do something good. And I think that that's going to be something that we need to do as a community. Don't dislike somebody because they like a different coin than you, or don't dislike somebody because they're a Bitcoin maximalist or vice versa. We all need to work together in a collective way, showcase human decency to others and work together to kind of fight this and spread the news. And on that beautiful note, thank you so much, Wendy, for joining us. It's been such a joy. Always, always a joy to chat with you. First time I think that we chatted on my show, but I was on yours earlier today. Everyone should head yes. to Wendy's show to check that out um, and make sure that you follow her as well. She's awesome. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Have a great day, guys. Bye-bye. Hi. I do want to have a call out to someone from the chat. So we did get a member of EBTV during this show, which was uh, pretty awesome and exciting. So Un Gato just became a member of uh, an NBTV fan, which was uh, really cool. So thank you so much, Un Gato. We really appreciate your support. Uh, if you guys want to say anything and add it to the show, let us know in the chat. We're watching the chat box pretty closely and, and grateful for all of you guys for hanging out here. And don't forget to like and subscribe and all that. Uh, we're going to go on to our next block now. And I wanted to welcome to the show, uh, Lon, who, as I mentioned earlier, he is the CEO of Breadcrumbs, which is an open blockchain Alex platform. Lon Lance, welcome to the show. Looking oh, forward we to got this. sound. There we go. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Naomi. Great to be here. So we're going to, yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to do this topic because this Bitfinex news came out and there were all these mm. reports showing like, we've tracked this money. It went in and out of dark markets. It went in and out of Monero. It's all doing all these things, but we were able to uncover this couple who allegedly laundered billions of dollars. And I think a lot of people look at their crypto transactions in a very parochial way. And they're like, oh, well, I used a, light, a, a privacy coin at some point in those transitions. I'm safe. Or I used a VPN. I'm safe. And I think what this illuminated, it's a good learning moment for people. You know, crypto transactions are not as private as you think. So I want to dive into chain analytics, how it all works. First of all, just give me an overview of how you think this money was tracked in the first place place sure it was i mean this was over six years um and i mean the funds when they came out of uh bitfinex they went directly into alpha bay you know and everybody could see that it's all public that the funds went into alpha bay but you know from an investigator point of view the key thing that they're trying to answer is tying an identity to who's controlling those addresses and so there are like three major events that really help them uh, connect an identity to the owner of those addresses. So the first one was, as I mentioned, like the funds went from the Bitfinex hack into Alpha Bay. So the first major event in 2017, you know, um, they took down Alpha Bay. And law enforcement was able to get access to all this information about the 400,000 users in Alpha Bay, you know, email addresses, IP addresses. Uh, deposit withdrawal histories. So, you know, coming into Alphabay, the funds, law enforcement was clearly able to see where the funds went out of Alphabay. You know, and, and so this is like all the additional private data that's available to the public. The second major event that happened was after the funds went out of Alphabay, they went into 10 different exchanges, you know, and some other centralized services as well. So anytime the funds go into these exchanges, 
you know, the person controlling the money has to use the exchange. You know, they, they get their IP address tracked. They have to give an email address. And on some of the exchanges, they have to give, you know, their passport photo, their names, uh, phone numbers, address. You know, the, this is all like very rich data to attach an identity to the owner of the funds. Uh, and so after that, you know, by that point, like the uh, law enforcement, the way they work is they'll go out and they'll subpoena the exchanges. So they'll, they'll send an email. They'll say, hey, can you give us all the information on this person or on this? Uh, and so, you know, the exchanges will give them like all the information, passport photo, email addresses, IP addresses, everything, trading history. Um, so it's very easy for law enforcement to see the funds go through that exchange. Uh, now, the key problem or the key thing that uh, Liechtenstein and Morgan did was on some of the ex these exchanges, they actually gave their real identities. You know, they gave their real home address. They gave their real uh, passport photos. Uh, and so they could clearly see, you know, now they have a suspect. They have, uh, you know, a bit of an idea of who might be uh, holding those funds, which leads us to the third event. They managed to uh, seize Liechtenstein's uh, Google or uh, cloud storage account. And in that storage account was, you know, the best evidence of all, which was uh, a file with 2000 private keys on it. Those, a lot of those private keys were the private keys to addresses of, you know, that had moved the stolen funds. So, you know, the old saying, you know, it's uh, not your keys, not your coins. But in this situation, it's, if it is your keys, it probably is your coins, you know, and that's probably <laughs> the most damning evidence. Yeah, no, absolutely. And what was fascinating to me, because I wanted to dive into the details of this, because I saw these transaction graphs mm. that showed Bitcoin to Monero, you know, the alphabet yeah. to Bitcoin again. And it was really illuminating for me. I think a lot of people think that just because they're using a privacy coin, like, well, I'm using Monero, therefore I've cut off the transaction history. And so I've been like chatting to all these chain analytics people the last couple of days, including yourself, about this I did not realize how chain analytics really worked. They're not following the UTXO history for a lot of this stuff. A lot of it is actually just circumstantial data. They're pulling it all together. They're doing parallel construction. They're looking at movement mm -hmm. of money. Like if they see a similar amount of money move between different coins, uh, they're tracking that and machine learning is analyzing that and saying like, oh, they might be released. So you get these clusters and you know, you're joining these dots and you end up with a pretty comprehensive overview that's pretty startling with how you can join all these things together. So how advanced is the state of like machine learning and figuring out patterns like this right now? Yeah, so there, there's quite a few different techniques just using public Bitcoin data. So mm -hmm. the one most common technique, it's uh, called blockchain heuristics. So in blockchain heuristics, you're basically analyzing the patterns and the flow of funds on the blockchain, you know, using public data, not knowing the identity of the person. Uh, and so the most common one is called a common input heuristic. So for example, uh, let's say there's five Bitcoin addresses in one transaction, you know, and those five Bitcoin addresses are part of an input. So let's say I know the identity of Bitcoin address one, you know, the transaction was probably sent by one entity. Therefore, all four other Bitcoin addresses are controlled by the same entity. 
And just using that simple idea called common input heuristics, you can generate, you can tie like millions of Bitcoin addresses just to one entity, you know, if you know one of their addresses, which mm -hmm. many entities out there, they, you know, they self-disclose. Uh, yeah, another one is geolocation. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Geolocation okay. is an important one. Yeah, so geolocation as well. So let's say a hacker does, you know, thousands of transactions over a few months. You compile the time of day that those transactions took place, you know, and, and you can kind of get a sense, well, you know, the hacker's got to be awake those transactions. So you can kind of get a sense of maybe what time zone they're in or what geolocation they're in. And then the third one, um, which some surveillance-minded analytics companies do. We, we don't do this because we're here for the public. Um, so what they'll do is they'll set up Bitcoin nodes and with the intention of hoping that people will connect to their nodes and broadcast their transactions through those nodes. And if they do that, well, guess what? Now they're able to get your IP address, you know, the IP address of the people broadcasting out those nodes. So these, these are kind of like, they're called honeypotting techniques of trying to, you know, do surveillance on people trying to do anonymous Bitcoin transactions. Uh, so these are some of the techniques that analytics companies use. Um, and there's a yeah, lot this is to just dive into. Of, it's crazy. Yeah, and I, I just, and I just talked about public like, information, right? You know, mm -hmm. then you bring in all the private private information from all these centralized well, services. Exactly. I some of the companies I chatted to, I was like, hey, you know, let's dive into this. I want to know like Monero made an appearance there. Can you talk to me about your um techniques for Monero? Every chain analytics company has actually they haven't said we can't get any information. They've disclosed they they've they have said they will not disclose their propriety information. And that makes me go like, do we have like this one-sided conversation going on where you have some people saying there's no data you can get? Absolutely. And the other people saying we're not going to disclose how we track these things. Because I mean, I as a privacy person, I'm looking at my system and I make videos all the time about how we live in this leaky sim digital world mm -hmm. there's no such thing as perfect privacy you know you may think that you're being masked on this layer of the internet but actually there are all these others that you've forgotten about that's how really chain analytics works so it's important like I, I appreciate you coming on and explaining this stuff because it's important people get a holistic view of how this works and kind of get like an understanding of the context they're not looking at Monero in isolation Monero is actually pretty robust you know when it comes to the amount of data oh, on absolutely. chain they've got stealth addresses and they've got bulletproofs and you don't reuse stealth addresses like they do some awesome things i like the integration of dandelion which is optional if you're running a node um all of that stuff is great but Monero does not exist in a vacuum it exists in Correct. a world where they're watching all your internet activity and i think that's a huge takeaway but any final thoughts for people as they kind of think about their own privacy because just another like side note i don't want to now, in this situation, if these people money like laundered stolen funds, this was an example of chain analytics catching the bad guys, right? Um, but the <laughs> way I look at it is that these uh, tools can also be used to track innocent people. And so I want to make sure that people understand when they're using these things, how much information is is out there. So any final words that, that you have for people on this topic? I think around that context, if you want to maintain your privacy, it's a bit of extra work. But as time goes on, there's more and more tools that make that work uh, less strenuous. 
you know, so something like a samurai wallet or wasabi wallet. Um, and so I think it's a lot of it is, you know, keep your OPSEC up to par um, and just do, yeah, do your research, listen to shows like yours uh, to, to learn how to keep your data private. Um, and at all costs, you know, if you're going to use any centralized services, realize that it, it's like there's a camera on you 24-7. Yeah, I think that's great advice. But thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on the show. I'm really, really grateful for you being here, sharing your expertise. We're going to be doing a deeper dive uh, interview, exploring chain analytics and how it all works. So keep an eye out for that on the channel. But thanks for joining us. Great. Take care. All right, so we're going to go into our final block. And before we do so, I just want to give a shout out. We got another member on the channel uh, during that segment. So CJ Weston Thank you so much. Welcome back. It's so wonderful. Uh, CJ has been around for years and years, one of the earliest supporters I remember from this channel. So it's so great to see people being here interested in learning about financial sovereignty, learning about taking back control of your data, all of those things. So CJ, I really appreciate you and everyone who's here in the chat and everyone who's smashing the like button and everyone who subscribed. You guys are really, truly awesome. Uh, so let's on that note, dive into our final block which is a doozy oh my gosh get off my digital lawn everyone this is the segment where we dive into privacy in detail and give you some of the latest breaking news that you need to be aware of in this space and i love i love the title get off my digital lawn really encompasses what we're about here uh so the first one Giant revelation, newly declassified documents reveal that the CIA has been secretly conducting massive surveillance programs that capture Americans' private information. Wow, so that was breaking news. Uh, basically, what happened was you had these two senators, Ron Wyden and Martin Heinrich, and they wrote this letter basically calling uh, for more transparency about bulk surveillance conducted by the Central Intelligence Agency. Both of these senators are on the Senate Intelligence Committee. So just how you understand how these things work, they talk about like, oh, we've got oversight because we've got this select committee, and so we don't need to tell all of Congress about what's going on. We just have these committee members. So these two are privy to more information than most people. But it turns out that these committees themselves get lied to over and over again about the extent of all of these overreaching surveillance programs. So, and it turns out that Congress is is lied to all the time. Uh, you may remember back prior to the Snowden revelations, Wyden, who's one of the senators involved in this, actually called out former NSA Director Keith Alexander um, and uh, said, you know, and also called out um, former uh, Clapper, um, as head of like intelligence in general, James Clapper, who was director of uh, intelligence and called them both out. And they, they just lied blatantly to Congress. And it wasn't until the Snowden revelations that we could actually divulge that they were lied to. But Wyden tried his best to, you know, whistleblow all of this stuff going on. But once again, he's, you know, coming to the rescue to educate the, uh, population. Basically, there are all these reports that got done. There was a, uh, a, a report 
by the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board on a CIA bulk collection program that they'd instigated. And so these two senators wrote this letter saying, listen, we need to declassify this. We need to educate people about what the CIA is actually doing. Now, this letter is what got declassified. So we're learning that they are asking for this program to be divulged and all of this stuff. Um, and this letter was declassified, which has some really interesting stuff here. They, it says that the CIA secretly conducted its own bulk program. It was authorized only under executive order 12333 rather than laws passed by Congress, which is how you would want most laws affecting all of us to be passed, actually have the people we vote in to have a say. No, 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 this was executive order. And uh, the CIA bulk surveillance has been carried out entirely outside of statutory framework and without any judicial, congressional or even executive branch oversight. So there is literally no one looking over the CIA's shoulder to say, that's unconstitutional. That's <laughs> clearly overreach. There's no one. They, they just have free reign. So this was really startling news that came out. Uh, the nature and the full extent has even been withheld from the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. And so uh, Wyden and, and Heinrich are, are pushing against this and saying, no, we need more information. It's created a giant stir. You've got Snowden tweeting about it. You've got, you know, everyone tweeting about because essentially like the documents reveal this incredibly serious problem that is associated with warrantless backdoor searches of Americans. We have the, all of these amendments for a reason. We have the Fourth Amendment that says we well, need a warrant to be targeted for a reason so we don't have these blank surveillance rules. And meanwhile, we have the executive branch adding in all of these uh, um, blanket surveillance uh, allowances for places like the CIA. And uh, it's, I mean, we, we need to be looking into this very carefully. So Glenn Greenwald tweeted out, I mean, he says, it's pretty, pretty strong words here. He says, the CIA is a criminal organization. Their interference in US politics is particularly pernicious. Uh, maybe news outlets should stop hiring all of the people who run this agency to help analyze and report the news. Maybe journalists should be skeptical of their planted stories. Obviously, they're talking about this revolving door between these government agencies like the CIA and news outlets. So we know that uh, Clapper has become an analyst. I think it's on CNN where he's reporting about stuff and telling you exactly how you should be thinking about these surveillance programs really not really not a good uh good trajectory when the media is just a mouthpiece of the state snowden says the same thing the cia is not your friend the cia is not a friend of the united states the cia is a friend of power and power alone um he talks about his experience with the cia in his memoirs which i got on my bookshelf back there you can see it over there um but i highly recommend you read it um the only other thing i will mention about this before i move on to the next crazy overreach surveillance program uh was a tweet storm from liza goitin and uh she talks about what all of this means um and so this bulk collection it basically means vacuuming up data indiscriminately rather than targeting individuals uh, or groups which is a a huge issue you know we do mass surveillance is terrible it is terrible and leads us down this dark orwellian path where everything we've ever done said on the internet gets stored in this database in perpetuity attached to our identity and regimes come and go but that data is forever that's the issue here you may trust the government today and you know that's fine but societal norms change and regimes change and down the track that data is not going anywhere that data is right there as a treasure trove of information in case you ever do anything that the next regime may not like and they can target you for it so it's absolutely 
absolutely something we need to be fighting back against. So all kinds of things that she dives into. I'll post a link in the description of her Twitter thread, which basically goes into the legality of all of this. Um, meanwhile, you know, the CIA's official response to all of this is that they've been keeping, you know, the Congressional Intelligence Committee fully informed about this. But these two senators are saying, no, they're not. Um, and I'm more inclined to believe uh, Wyden and Heinrich on this one. And on that note, let's move on to our final topic, which is another surveillance doozy. What a what a week, guys. What a way to go into the weekend. So apparently, you may remember a couple of years ago on this channel, I made a video about this Earnet bill that came out. The Earnet bill was this terrible thing that people like Snowden, he tweeted out that this is a national disgrace. You had all these privacy, civil liberties organizations tweet out and say, we must stop this. There was huge pushback uh, against this bill because it was insidious in how much overreach it would have into our lives. And I'll dive into the details in a second. But what happens? They just wait two years, all the hubbub dies down, and they just unanimously passed it uh, on one of these boards. So it's like, wow, it doesn't even matter if people are against this stuff. They're just going to go ahead and, and pass this. So let's dive into what the Earnet Bill is. Now, it, honestly, you can't ask for a more clear-cut example of why legislation like the Earnet Act, which undermines encryption, is a terrible idea. We just talked about the overreach of the CIA. We don't want everything we do to be unencrypted because it's just being hoovered up by organizations like the CIA. But let's dive into it. The new Earnet bill will effectively ban encryption. Make no mistake about it. So on the surface, they're saying that this will help children and it will you know, save people from sexual exploitation and all of these things that pull on people's heartstrings and you say, ooh, I want to stop that. But let's dive into this a little deeper. So the Electronic Frontier Foundation said that the bill deals with a very serious issue of child exploitation online, but it offers no meaningful solutions. Rather, the bill's authors have shrewdly used defending children as the pretense for an attack on our free speech and security online. So what Earnet does is it basically gives the government an open-ended power to control content of apps and blogs and messaging platforms and every every part of the internet. It would give them this open control to dictate how we use the internet and what is and isn't permissible on the internet. It's, it's crazy how much um, uh, power this would give them. So the real dark side of this is that None of these guidelines for what is permissible activity and what is not has actually been written yet. There are no guidelines yet. What this bill does is it gives this commission that will be set up a blank check to write whatever laws they want. And guess who's leading the commission? We've got people like Lindsey Graham, who literally has said that like his number one priority is to end and is to ban end to end encryption, right? So a little bit of his history, if you go back to when the Earnet Bill came out, about two months prior to the Earnet Bill coming out, uh, you had Lindsey Graham saying to Apple, saying to Facebook, you need to add backdoors into all of your messaging and to everything that goes on on your platform, or, you know, you'll be in serious trouble. And then two months, and then they refused, obviously, and, and uh, Apple's still fighting them and Facebook's still fighting them. Uh, but meanwhile, two months later, he comes out with this bill that he's co-sponsored where he says, oh, in the name of children, 
we now get to dictate terms of the internet, which, you know, uh, and our terms may be that you can't include end to end encryption. So it's like, I mean, it's, it's really crazy what's going on here. Um, every major freedom of speech and privacy advocacy group right now is calling this an abomination. So you see this article from EFF on there. Um, they dive into it really, really in a thorough way. I highly recommend you, you read their article about what you can do as well in terms of like reaching out to your representatives to get this thing stopped because it is pretty pretty scary. Um, I have a video on it that I released two years ago, which dives into it, which is still completely relevant. It's still exactly what the, the bill is about. It's it's a scary situation. So I'm sorry to, to bring all this to you on a Friday. We want to be going into our weekend. We want to be having fun, but we also want to be mindful of the things around us so that we can make informed decisions with our lives uh, about the products that we use, about the people that we support. It's always better to be informed. So the bear of bad news, but I'm happy to do it to make you guys educated about the privacy situation uh, around the globe right now. So on that note, I'm going to bring this back to you guys and dive into some of the things that you've been saying. Every, uh, every show we look at Twitter, we dive into some comments from different people. If you want your comments read on the show, make sure you tweet us. Keep an eye on our Twitter page. We are always asking questions before the show and trying to get your feedback and to get to read comments and things. So let's dive into the first one. What have we got there? All right. So we've got two main news who says, how long might it take for the blockchain to replace most of what the government does? <laughs> I don't know, but I am really looking forward to it. I would much rather have mathematics determining and safeguarding guarding my data than the government's promises because when it comes to government's promises, I, I, I just don't trust them anymore. It's just you have overreach after overreach and it just goes to a stage where you go, like I, I'd rather this stuff be determined by mathematics rather than bureaucrats. But that's a great question. We've got another comment, uh, actually from uh, ACLU. So we pulled out this comment because we thought it was great which pertains to the CIA uh, release. So this surveillance is done without any court approval and with few, if any, safeguards imposed by Congress to protect our civil liberties. It's, yeah, it is pretty scary and Congress needs to act now. They need to end these programs. There's no oversight and it's important that we as a population understand what these people uh, in control are, are, are doing that affects us. As Wendy said, I liked her comment earlier in the show where she's saying that, um, you know, this is, uh, that they're public servants, they're working for us, right? Let's not call them officials. Uh, let's, let's talk about them how they actually are and I don't see them working for us right now but the final one we got here I think it's from EFF so Electronic Frontier Foundation awesome uh, foundation for learning about digital privacy and security so they said that the CIA surveillance uh, implicates the same fundamental constitutional rights as the NSA's mass surveillance programs and let me just expand this because it's pretty uh sorry I got my window really uh small there we go um uh, and we joined Senators Wyden and Heinrich uh, in calling on the CIA to release more details about the program. Absolutely. I hope that we all support this and trust try to get more information about this. I want to know what's going on in my government, you know, um, that all of my, my tax money is going to, to pay for. So that's the show, guys. That's it. That's the show. 
we come to you live every Friday at 4 p.m. and we have such fun doing it and we bring you guests. If you ever have guests that you think would be fun on the show, make sure you hit us up on Twitter and let us know. And before you go, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. YouTube doesn't show, uh, it hides our videos from a lot of people. So this actually helps us in the algorithm and helps us get more visibility because you get notified when we do a video. On that note, everyone go and have a lot of fun. I got, I got some comments in the chat about like, what, Samson Mao is going to be the mayor of Bitcoin City? <laughs> I'd like to see that. Um, but we'll dive into that. Uh, and no, the phone isn't available. I've got Catherine asking about it. Lots of things that I'm exploring, potentially put, bringing out a privacy phone, but still exploring and interested in what Graphene is coming out with their new device. So I'll keep you all updated on that. But 4 p.m. Fridays, we'll see you back here next week and uh, we'll see you on our Twitter. Love you all. Have a great weekend. You know rappers like to rock pools. I got fools. You guess women, but I'm collecting a spice like a friend. Spice like a friend. Step it and get to choosing your weapon because a definite roar of indefinite war is epic. I found a new way to deal with the people. I generate matters and I generate a sequel. Not yet. I think my mic's still live. Right? Can they hear me rap? Don't, don't, not that far. The blow, got the algorithm. Look at him until prison, since he sought the prison.